So many things have ruined my childhood So I go online to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus Fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh -huh, uh -huh. Predators, uh -huh, uh -huh. Marvel, uh -huh, uh -huh. DC, uh -huh, uh -huh. maybe it doesn't all quite sting. Okay, well, except maybe for that Jar Jar Binks. Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Hello everyone and welcome to This Podcast Ruined My Childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo and with me is Eric Walensky. Hey Eric. Why can't we go backwards for once? Backwards as fast as we can. Really, really fast. And take a ton of nostalgia with us. Why can't we go backwards for once? Backwards. Really fast fast as we can. <laughs> really put the pedal to the metal, you know? Go back! Ten seconds! Why can't we go backwards for once? Backwards. Really fast. Fast as we can. <laughs> really put the pedal to the metal, you know? Bill and Ted did it. As you can hear from that quote and the tag on this episode, we are talking about Ready Player One. Now, there's not really uh, something that we can call back to specifically of like an old Ready Player One, but we thought it was a really good episode to talk through because Ready Player One is a movie built on nostalgia. There are so many references to things that shaped so many people's childhoods in the form of mass media. And so we thought it would be fun to, to watch the movie and take a look back at all the fun different Easter eggs that the movie had to share and then talk about the movie itself. So, Eric, tell me about your 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 favorite references really quick, like the, the one that pops right out of the top of your head from this movie and what it meant to you as a child and then what it meant to you to see it on the screen in this weird amalgamation of pop culture references in the form of Ready Player One. Well... I have to say, because it's the most blatant reference that stands out, it has to stand out to everybody, and who wouldn't want to at least drive it, if not own it, but the DeLorean oh, uh, yeah. obviously stands out as a glaring reference to the Back to the Future films. And, uh, I mean, I years ago, I looked up buying a DeLorean, and just to see, and about 15... 15-ish years ago, you could have got one for about $8,500-$9,000 um, in a drivable condition. Now, $8,500-$9,000 is going to get you one 
you're going to spend three years in the garage trying to fix. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want anything drivable, you're looking at 20K plus. Wow. And if yeah. anybody out there is listening and it's like, oh, yeah, I can find a Midori cheaper than that, send me the link. Because <laughs> uh, I, I can't find anything affordable in the DeLorean. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that stands out glaringly to me. And of course, you know, time machine. It wasn't a time machine in the movie, but, you know, the gull wing and right. all that. I mean, and you'd want one that looks like the DeLorean with the Back to the Future mm -hmm flux capacitor and yep. all that stuff on the back and the wires along the side, you know, mm -hmm. you'd want something movie realistic if you're going to drive it. So. Yeah, for sure. So that's what pops out to me the most. And, and you liked it in the film, the, how they used it? No. Okay. <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> so for me, I, I would probably have to say the same thing. That whole race sequence was just like a nostalgia orgasm on the screen. Everything that you would want as a reference point, well, not everything, but almost everything you'd want as a reference point to start your movie off was in that first scene to get everybody hooked. And the DeLorean was one of the main things. There were so many cool cars, the Tron light cycle, um, the uh, big wheels, uh, or not big wheels, but the big monster truck, uh, just so many cool references. And then, of course, King Kong. So, so much of that opening scene blew my mind and made me really excited about the film. Um, and I, I liked it. I, I really liked the use of the DeLorean as Parzival's mode of transportation in this race. Um, well, I'll tell so. you why, at least start on why I didn't like it. It's And you used a great analogy there. You said it was a big pop culture orgasm. Unfortunately, I felt it was a very gratuitous orgasm worthy of a triple X rating. It was a lot and <laughs> yes. it was everywhere. Yep. And it's the kind of stuff you should only watch if you're a very, very special kind of person. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that was the thing to me. It was, uh, it was just almost like a manufactured kind of, hey, let's take all these things everybody likes and just put it in one big film. And, mm -hmm. then, and to a degree, that's kind of cool. I mean, I'll start right now in other movie references like pixels mm -hmm. i like the premise of pixels and that's actually not a great movie but it's not a terrible movie mm -hmm. i thought the nostalgia <laughs> video games was handled a little bit better we'll have to talk about that that's another time it's a different movie it's a different, it's, it's a different podcast it, it is a different podcast i will go on for hours about how terrible pixels was but my my point though is that it it only used a little bit of nostalgia mm -hmm. and just all the nostalgia that it threw in but uh it's interesting, too, that you asked me the question. You said, what was the thing that stood out to you the most? You know what also stood out to me the most in the opposite way, as in it wasn't there? What's that? There was not a lick of Star Wars. There was no Star Wars anywhere in this film. Or Star Trek. Well, or Star Trek. I There was both, actually. The Upon discovering the copper key... Halliday refers to Z as Padawan. So that is a reference to Star Wars. Of course, they didn't show it because they couldn't get rights to it, but that was a reference to it. And then when Halliday... But Padawan is not unique to Star Wars. It's meant to be a Star Wars reference in this film. It's meant to be. Uh, and then Halliday's funeral scene, what, he was in a coffin that was designed like Spock's coffin from wrath of khan 
and there was a Star Trek symbol for like the flowers that were next to his coffin on the video they watched about, you know, when he passed away. So that was the reference to Star Trek mm. in the film. But you're right, as far as characters go, when people can have avatars of anything they want, you would think someone would be a Jedi. I mean, I would be a Jedi in the Oasis if I could. But uh, you're right. There were no Jedi, no Sith, no um, Star now, Trek characters. Now that you say it, I do remember the Star Trek emblem. Mm -hmm. But uh, I will I will stand by my opinion that just saying Padawan does not constitute a Star Wars reference. Sure. Okay. I, I, will, I will stand by that. I'll take that. And, and But yes, no characters, no ships. The Millennium Falcon didn't like who wouldn't have picked the Falcon for that big battle at I, the end. If they could have got the rights to it, I'm sure they would have. Uh huh. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the amazing thing was though that they got the rights to so many other things. But you can see there's really no Disney in the film at all. There's I don't believe there was Marvel. No. There was 20th Century Fox references because disney didn't own 20th century at the time mm -hmm. so the alien bursting out of the chest mm -hmm. was one of the things that happened when she uh like kidnapped parcival when artemis kidnapped part was it artemis is that her name yeah i think she kidnapped parcival into that room because he's now he's got a key so everybody's like trying to take pictures with him and she gives him the clark kent glasses that change his appearance which i thought was cool too yeah it was neat but she busts a oh she's yeah, playing yeah, she's yeah, goro yeah. right or yeah, Gor yeah, yeah, goro yeah. whatever his name is from, yeah, from mortal, mortal Kombat. Kombat, bust the alien out of the chest and bites up so there are references from 20th century but not a single disney reference at all for so lucas marvel disney characters in the film mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting they used everything they could that they could get rights to right um but i it was gratuitous but to me it was so much fun to see that gratuitous explosion on the screen. I enjoyed it. I thought it was just like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. And mm -hmm. maybe that could cause seizures for some people. But I, I thought mm -hmm. it was great. And especially watching it at home in 4K, like up close, where it's not on a movie screen and things are going by so quick. Mm -hmm. Watching it in 4K on my home theater just brings it to that next level for me. Mm -hmm. I can watch it. I can pause it. I can go back. And everything is so clear. You can see who's out there, who's in all the different battles. Right. Like Jason Voorhees is out there. Freddy Krueger is out there. Um, Robocop. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just amazing how many different and pop you, culture you characters they think, get. For, Mad Max. You would think, considering that we do this podcast where we talk about pop culture all the time, that this would be right up my alley. Mm -hmm. And it, unfortunately, to me, again, was just too gratuitous. And I felt like there wasn't enough real story to constitute the usage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I felt like the usage of the stuff was the drawing and then the rest of it was like, didn't really like to start in on the movie itself. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and th this podcast actually just slightly difficult for me to do with, because some of these opinions I had, but then some of them just been amplified in the funny YouTube videos that I've seen talk about <laughs> it. Like the honest trailer mm -hmm. is hysterical, and uh, but I said this right from the get go with her avatar being like, "Oh, I'm hideous in the real world, so I have an avatar," and then in the real world, she's just got a little birthmark, 
and sure, people can be self-conscious about whatever they want, but she's far from hideous. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, you know, the girl who wears glasses. I'm the ugly girl. Oh, take the glasses off, though. And but, let your hair down. <laughs> but her avatar looked almost exactly like her. <laughs> there really wasn't that much difference between the two. So, again, in a world where you can be anything, mm-hmm. she chose to be pretty much what she was in real life, even though she hated herself in real yeah. life. Like, wouldn't you want to be, you know... Princess Leia. <laughs> or, use a Star Wars example. <laughs> or, 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 or Carrie Russell from a Noxzema commercial with the clearest, most crystal clear face in the world. Instead, she's a pretty much similar looking chick, mm-hmm. you know? And same thing with our hero, too. Yeah. You know, in a world where you can be everything, he's pretty much just the same guy. Right. He didn't look that much different. He's, he's just got different color skin and hair, and but he's him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Ty Sheridan did a... I think Ty Sheridan did a really good job. Um, he played into the nostalgia. He gave a lot of good voiceover exposition, but it didn't... I mean, parts of it, of course, felt like exposition, but in a, in my opinion, in a good way that kept the story moving. But there are moments when we had to go back and watch what happened with Halliday, where then it was like a little too much. Let's keep this moving, you know? Right. Plot um, convenience theater. Yeah, yeah. Now let's watch the scene that explains why this next scene. Yeah. You know, li- listen to me talk about, mm-hmm. you know. Halliday's favorite movie. Hmm. Right. Why would he go on a date? Where would he take somebody on a date? These were the movies he saw in this time. Right. Which then led to the cool shining sequence, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting film to talk about in on this podcast because we always talk about the thing that is directly tied to the movie. Mm-hmm. But here, there are literally thousands of ties to so many different pieces of pop culture from the past that it's hard to really figure out what to talk about mm-hmm. other than to just talk about the movie and the way the reference is kind of intertwined mm-hmm. with the story that we got. And you're saying that you didn't love the story that we got. Not really. I I was I was entertained. I really enjoyed it. I I know that they're either making a sequel or they're trying to make a sequel, and that I don't. I know that uh, the author is writing Ready Player Two, and then they're going to make the movie pretty quickly after the book is done. But I think that this is a great standalone story, and it doesn't really need to then go into these five or four, basically kids, young adults, now own the company. And we now have to see their corporate struggle owning the company. Is that right. going to be super interesting? Are we going to find out what he's changing the Oasis to? And then what? where's the conflict? Gonna right, happen? right. You is know? it going to be like Tron? Mm-hmm. Is the inside of the game now trying to take over the world or whatever? That'd actually be pretty cool. Yeah, they can just take, watch Tron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just watch Tron. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny. The And I didn't hate the movie. I've only seen it twice. I watched it the first time and I wasn't in love with it. And then the second time when we watched it again, I kind of liked it better and I didn't find the exposition as draggy, but it's also because I knew it was coming and I already knew what the exposition was. Whereas the first time I watched it, it's like, don't explain a movie to me. Mm-hmm. Show me a movie. Right. Because if I'm just going to have it told to me, I might as well read the book. And I said that to a friend that I didn't like the movie. I said, ah, I just didn't like it. And I hear it's a book. And he said, yes, the book is much better than the movie. I said, oh, really? Should I read the book? He goes, no, because it's not that much better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, then. Right. Gosh. Um, The 
the thing that the things that stand out to me though are the fun references that get thrown in there they're interesting plays on pop culture and the one that stands out the most is the Zemeckis cube it's a uh, Rubik's cube that he purchases but it's called a Zemeckis cube because in the game it's a playable item that when you put it together and and figure out the code it turns time back 30 seconds mm-hmm. whatever it is like in back to the future form Robert Zemeckis, Zemeckis was the director of back to the future so that's why it's called a Zemeckis cube and I loved the sequence when that happened because he uses the cube and the the score from back to the future kind of swells up and it's it's a beautiful sequence of course it's all cgi but we're watching everybody flow backwards while the back to the future music is playing and i just think that's a really cool nod to back to the future without being outright like in your face mm-hmm. this is straight up back to the future reference your order's running low i just bought this Zemeckis Cube turns everything back in time, 60 seconds. And you waited until now to use it? Yeah. Yeah, they're cool moments. Definitely cool moments. Mm-hmm. And, but I just, uh, the overall package wasn't, wasn't fun. I mean, I guess because I'm already guessing... Like, as soon as we meet his friend, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a girl. H, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, geez. Because she says, she calls out when he's going on his date, and he pulls on the Buckaroo Banzai outfit. She says, you don't even know anything about this girl. It could be some dude in in his basement. Right. Which then is the flip for her. She she is acting like a male ogre. Right. But she's a woman. Right. But I already got that yeah. even before that scene. That's when it clicked for me. Because it's like, well, of course, you know, that's what we're, you know, who doesn't know that somebody on the internet isn't who they might really be in real life today? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, that's just obvious. So, right. That wasn't a big surprise to me. I don't know if it was a big surprise to many people or if it was even supposed to be that big of a surprise. But otherwise, if it's not supposed to be, then why write it that way? Right. That makes sense. Like just right away, have the ogre show up and, oh, you think it's, you know, a man and da, da, da. But then right away go, oh, it's a girl. Then you go, oh, twist. <laughs> but to for as long as they didn't know who they were and all these clues about you don't even know who this is, then it's like, well, then clearly you are not who you are if you didn't already figure that out. Yeah. So. Um, I, I will say there is another Star Wars reference not to go back. but. Fine. It's, I want to go back. It's backwards uh, as fast as we can. <laughs> really, really put the really pedal, pedal to the metal like Bill and Ted. Um, but uh, the actor who plays Nolan Sorrento is Ben Mendelsohn, who was in <laughs> Rogue One. Star Wars. <laughs> it's my no. It's my way to get to Star Wars. It's not. <laughs> um, like nobody had a lightsaber. You hey. can do whatever you want, and you don't get a lightsaber. They could have, they should have done some other kind of laser sword that was like an homage to the lightsaber because they couldn't use a lightsaber. But it's it's all rights. It's all the rights. I'm sure. I bet in the Ready Player One book, there's plenty of references to Star Wars and Star Trek. But sure. to make the movie, 
They couldn't get the rights. Yeah, and I understand that. Which Ready Player Two, if you know, if and when that gets made, who knows if we'll get even twentieth century stuff. Yeah, I guess it just seems so glaring to me. Like we're gonna throw in every pop culture reference we can, except the ones that we can't afford. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, ugh. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, let's let's move on to the Shining scene because that is a big, big part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a fan of The Shining? I've never seen it. Oh well, there you go. Maybe you have to watch The Shining, and then you can re-watch this and appreciate the different sequences and the different parts of the hotel. Well, I mean, to. I've seen enough in my life of understanding, you know, the little girls and the hotel. And all. Mm-hmm. I, I get all of that. I just, uh, I've just never seen The Shining. Okay, man, this is this is harder than I thought it was going to be. That one got by me. <laughs> in the sequence, I think it was interesting that. They needed to get to the ballroom. And when you think about The Shining and you're thinking about the pop culture references that they would put in a movie like this for The Shining, you're thinking about all the horrific things that happen in the movie that they show you. I didn't ever come to the the thought when I first was watching the movie that the ballroom sequence would be the main sequence that they'd have to get to mm-hmm. to get the key. Um, but it's because of the dance. Though. It is because of the dance. But the the cool part of it was that when H is in the river of blood, passes the picture, and the picture shows her and Halliday, the mm-hmm. two, the two um, you know, Halliday and the girl, mm-hmm. uh, in the ballroom scene where Jack Torrance is mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, that was a really cool nod to how The Shining ends. And so they go through everything that they go through in The Shining movie to then get to the ballroom sequence, which is the end of The Shining. Mm-hmm. So it was just, I think it was a really well-made sequence to, to cram a two-plus-hour movie, a, a movie that's as great as The Shining, and put it like a 20-minute sequence in this film that hits all the main points you really want to see mm-hmm. to then get to, of course, where the movie has to go, which is in the ballroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just thought it was it was a really interesting and neat way to bring that into the film. And I think, from what I understand, the whole Shining thing is not in the book at all. That was only added for the movie. Jurassic Park, right? The dinosaur is in the sure. the um, the race sequence. Yeah. But even then, that's the dinosaur is a dinosaur. That's not it's still the T Rex. It's the Jurassic it's... Park T Rex. It is. I can see it right here on the internet. It tells me it's the Jurassic Park T Rex. <laughs> Ish. It's Steven Spielberg made this movie. Sure. All it right. is his T Rex. Fine. I promise you. Fine. <laughs> I guess part of this movie to me also is like we're out of ideas so we're going to just take cool things that people immediately like and put it together. Now, I didn't read the book. So I don't know if again the book has more substance to it and because you can do so much more with the book than you can with the movie. Um so maybe there's more substance to the story. Maybe mm-hmm. there's deeper character yeah. than just the flashy video game stuff. Because like you said, you're watching a battle scene and it's like, oh, there's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. Wow, wow, wow. But if you're reading the book, I doubt the book is going. And then He-Man showed up and then Turtles showed up and then Transformers showed up and then Gobot showed up and then Thunderhawk showed up and then Thundercat showed up. And then, you know, I doubt that's what the book is doing. It probably weaves it better into the background, lets your imagination kind of run with it. Sure. And rather than 
just sitting there watching all of it. I also sure. wasn't a big fan of the puzzles. No? Like, like I didn't feel like you could figure the puzzles out yourself. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a do-it-yourself movie in that respect, where you're supposed to be guessing who the murderer is or anything. Right. But the puzzles just seemed very difficult. Yeah. Like, obscenely difficult. Like, well, and, and, and I guess to that end, I'm saying I didn't have to be able to figure it out. It's just the leaps in logic that the characters were taking. I'm like, where'd you get that conclusion from? Yeah, yeah it's you could tell that Halliday hid these keys in the Oasis and made these three trials for only a true fan of what the Oasis originally was built for would be able to figure out. And that's who... Um, who our, our lead character is. He is a Halliday um, connoisseur, so to speak. He knows everything about him. He has been to the archives over and over and over again and respects him and respects what the Oasis was built as. He doesn't He doesn't spend his time in the Oasis uh, just spending all of his money willy-nilly. He's there for his goal. He's He's trying to find keys he's trying to sure. build relationships he's trying to make friends um but even so, that first thing he has to figure out that that like, go backwards like literally if you watched my whole life because i hit a clue of something i muttered in the break room back in 2002 is the goal <laughs> like come on yeah fine-tooth comb much yeah. my goodness no i i i get it it was just really to make a cool scene of him driving backwards in the DeLorean and then going underneath the game. Sure. It was I just, a cool sequence to watch. It, yeah, it was. But the leap in logic that the main character took, I just mm-hmm. felt like, where'd you get that conclusion? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And you're right, because all of those were things that when he, when they get the first clue, they're then told a riddle. And so the riddle is what they have to decode, and that's when they go back through more archives to figure out the rest. And I think that the riddles, for someone who is studying Halliday, I think the riddles are enough to go find that moment in time. So, mm. Like, his biggest regret, Halliday had never said it, but he had thought about it his whole life. So he wrote it down as one of these clues. You get the riddle, you figure out what his biggest regret is, and most people that aren't truly paying attention to Halliday's life aren't going to know to go to that moment when he let the girl get away. Mm, okay, I'll give you that. And then the, the final clue, which is the one to go play to find the... Um, it was to play that one video game. The first Easter egg. Yeah, the first Easter egg ever made. And that was... A fun, another cool reference that if you care about why the Oasis was built and why Halliday wanted to create this immersive game for people, you'd know what he meant. And of course, Parzival figures it out and is able to go play that game. Dragon Quest, I think it was called Mythic, something like that. Dragon Quest. He can go, he goes and plays it and just wanders around and finds the Easter egg and that gives him the final key. So I think after the first one, I, I don't know how anybody could figure out the first one. I just, you're right. It makes no sense mm-hmm. that you would think you have to drive backwards. You just have to keep trying to drive forward and get past Kong. Mm-hmm. But no one will ever get past Kong. Mm-hmm. So where are you going to come up with that? I guess he was just the luck of the draw. He was in the archive that day and heard that one thing and 
new. Let me go backwards. Well, but then even, and maybe flip a coin, right? Did he mean literally go backwards from the starting line or drive the race backwards? backwards. And then at the very end, King Kong goes, what? Backwards <laughs> car? And he's confused. And that's how you get by him because you go backwards really fast. And Kong is like, oh, yeah, it's stuck, right? But Percival guessed right. Yep. Which was go backwards mm-hmm. from the starting line. From the starting line. What do you think about T.J. Miller's character? I I Rock, I think his name was. Loved it. I yeah. thought he was funny. I like T.J. Miller in general. I think he's he's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think his personal life aside. Well, his yeah. his film roles. He's I funny. like his film roles. Yes, yes. But uh, I like uh, I like the Honest trailer where it's like, "Hey, T.J. Miller's in this." Said no one. <laughs> that is hysterical, right? right. Right. Yeah. Who also he doesn't look anything like himself. He's this weird right. character that has right. a big skull for his chest right. and he is, hides things in his great. chest. Yeah, yeah. It's and, cool. And his voice just sounded perfect for that role. Mm-hmm. And uh and I think that's why I like TJ Miller in general, because when he shows up, it's his voice just just adds this just mm-hmm. I don't know what how to describe it. It's just it's a funny voice. He's just got a funny delivery, a yeah. funny cadence. Mm-hmm. Um Although it is funny that the honest trailer is like, oh, TJ Miller's in this, said no one. When I watched this the first time with my wife, she goes, oh, this guy. <laughs> she yeah. couldn't remember yeah. his name, but she just goes, as soon as he starts talking, oh, this guy. Yep. <laughs> this guy's in it. <laughs> oh, man. The uh, Simon Pegg character as Halliday's um, partner, he was the, the partner Ogden Morrow who turns out to be the curator in the archive. I thought that was really, really cool because I couldn't tell that that was Simon Pegg's voice at all. Even on a rewatch, I can't tell. It's like, you know, Simon Pegg is doing a different voice, a different character, and mm-hmm. he sounds nothing like himself. And it's like anytime you know Mark Hamill is doing a voice of something, it's not Mark Hamill, right? Mm-hmm. So Simon Pegg was a really good choice for the curator because of course it makes sense that he's in the Oasis helping to make sure that it goes to the right person. But it, it just it blew my mind at the end when he popped out and said, you know, flip the quarter or whatever he did. And it, it was just very cool. I thought it was great. Um, yeah. But one of my, one of my all time favorite references at the very end was the iron giant or not at the very end, but that H was right. rebuilding the iron giant. And then it comes out at the end and saves the day. I love the movie, the iron giant. So I never saw that uh, either. It's such a heartwarming. Maybe I didn't see movie. the right movies to like this. Movie. I think so. I think that's all it is. I think you're missing all of the pieces you need for this movie to really touch you. <laughs> it's quite possible. Because, like I said, you'd think that a movie like this would be crack for mm-hmm. somebody like me. Yeah. But I guess while I'm not against necessarily the concept, I just was not super impressed with the execution. Right. Okay. It makes sense. Um, you know, it's movies aren't for everyone. It's like menus at restaurants, as Andy DiGenova always says. That's why they make menus, so everybody can have their own thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Opinions, opinions, everybody can have their own opinion. That's why they have menus? Yeah, so everybody can have their own thing. Who, who knew? Who knew? But it's just, <laughs> I still love, like, the, the, um, the Firefly vessel from Firefly TV show is in there. 
the a Gundam is in there. Mecha Godzilla is in there. It's just all these cool references that just help move the story along the and make me spaceship the Serenity. It was the space. Was it called the Serenity? Wasn't it? I don't remember. If, I guess yeah, it was called the Serenity, and it's a Firefly class ship. So the show was called Firefly because the Serenity was a yeah yeah was a Firefly class ship. So it's the Serenity, and that shows up at the very in the end sequence. Gosh, I guess I missed that. Again, because there is so much to see. Your eyes, if you, mm-hmm. you probably have to, like you said, freeze frame things a million times. Yeah. Catch it all. Daito uh, arrives in the Serenity. And then he um, uses a Gundam to grow to fight Mechagodzilla. Mm. Um, I love that when the Iron Giant went down into the lava, mm-hmm. he did the T2 thumbs up. Uh, that yeah, was cool. that was cool. There's just so many, so many great references. Yeah, so neat things. Um, but the movie itself. So you said that you didn't love the story. So if we take all the references out, and we talk about this tech company that's trying to gain the rights to the Oasis and their IOI, they're just sending in people to try to get the keys so that IOI as a company mm-hmm. can run the Oasis, which we see all the nefarious plots he's going to do. He's going to sell. You think he said like 85% of the screen before people have seizures with different pop-up mm-hmm, ads. Mm-hmm. So they're fine trying to find ways to monetize and corporatize mm-hmm. this free service that everybody can play. And free, you know, pay to play when you're in there, but free to just get in and walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I like the themes of this, this evil corporation that's trying to take something that's good for the people away from them. And so we have this band of misfits that have come together to fight the evil corporation. And they do that both in the real world and in the Oasis. And if you could have done that without all the explanation to get me there, Mm -hmm. then I might like it. But it's like the first five minutes of the movie is, yeah, him doing narration. That's Mm -hmm. H. We're this guy. We're this team. That's (laughs) so-and-so. We're this. We're that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. this is too explainy yeah i i see what you're saying i get it um i just i enjoyed the references because i've watched all the right movies and you obviously haven't yeah again just i'm just all for the geek explosion the the orgasm of fun 80s and 90s references on the screen i i enjoyed it i think that uh, it did really well in theaters because a lot of people enjoyed that nostalgic, this nostalgic feeling they got while watching the movie. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't disagree that there was a little too much exposition mm-hmm. or a lot too much exposition, and that the the bad guys were like that kind of stuff that the bad guys did wouldn't really happen in the real world. Like right. Nolan Sorrento as the CEO of IOI wouldn't go out in the streets with a gun to shoot Parzival. Right. Like, that wouldn't happen. That's what I mean. So there's all these leaps of faiths they have to take to make this movie go the way they want it to. Mm -hmm. But I was along for the ride. Well, why couldn't you have had a theme Mm -hmm. where, like, you know, make make H's case make a little more sense even and be less obvious in the fact that... uh, she says, oh, you know, it could be a dude in his basement. And then she turns out to be a chick who was in her basement or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's the reversal. But then maybe once Percival gets the first key, 
maybe on the next challenge, somebody else shows up and helps him. And it's like, whoa, dude, you're cool. Oh yeah, you're cool. And then it turns out it's an iOS agent who infiltrates or IOI. Mm -hmm. And and then it's a, that whole trust thing because everybody he trusted in the movie turned out to be good. Right. He never trusts anybody who turns out to not be good unless I'm forgetting something. No, no, they did. So if you could have had the lesson be learned, mm-hmm. that would have at least played into the theme of that. You're too nice. You're too trusting. You're this. Like when he tells uh, the girl his real name. Yeah. You shouldn't have done that, you know? Right. And maybe th- then I, I is it? Mm-hmm. uses that info instead of just saying, oh, we know who you are. We're going to come kill you in the real world. Right. That they infiltrate in the fake world, mm-hmm. the oasis. You know, and then which they do the opposite. You're right. Because all of his his team are good guys. They do the opposite to Sorrento. They trap him in the Oasis when he thinks he's left the Oasis. Right. And that's a cool that's a cool sequence, too. Yes. But again, it's too much explanation to get there. Yes. There's Um, a lot of explanation to get there. Inception had less explanation (laughs) to get to that exact same story point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. I don't want. I don't want to end this podcast without just throwing out that there were some really good references to Batman. Michael Keaton's Batman was in the movie Catwoman, and a capeless Batman from the Arkham Knight video game series was in it. Um, there was a quote from Lex Luthor from the original Superman movie in the in the film, um, which was what Z drops that the late Halliday's favorite quote was from Superman the movie, and it's an amazing nugget of comic wisdom. Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor says some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking it's a simple adventure story. Others can read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. And that is a really good quote, honestly. Mm. Um, but there's like other great references. The, the We already talked about the Clark Kent glasses. Spawn is in it. Batgirl's in it. Uh, and maybe that was the, my problem The vehicles. Was... A-team vehicle. You love the A-team. But maybe that was my problem too. There was too, too many. Mm-hmm. Like two. Just two, too many. Two. <laughs> no, T O O comma T O O many. <laughs> too, too many. Maybe that's probably my problem. Yeah. And maybe it's because there just wasn't Star Wars, and I just was like, couldn't like, you know. Yeah. I wanted to see more of things I like, not things that they just got the rights to. Sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I would have liked to have seen a Care Bear stare. That would have been neat. That would have been neat. Um, gosh. Like if somebody's avatar was a Care Bear. And it just did the little and heart. And it does the heart thing, except it shreds people. That would have been awesome. That would have been incredible. <laughs> like that, You now, now we're starting to talk. Now we're starting to talk here. You know? I, mean, I, I would have loved that. Maybe, I would have loved maybe that. Maybe I brainstorm. Mm-hmm. Like, what do we want to see in Ready Player Two? And we'll send Spielberg an idea, Care Bear stare with a heart that actually cuts people, or it, it puts hearts them, heart holes through them, like it's just, but yeah, but devastating, <clears throat> right? Yeah, not not silly. Like he can look silly mm-hmm. doing it, yeah. But when it hits the person, it's got to be like, oh, yeah. like holy crap, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yep. <clears throat> what other references would we want? Now let's brainstorm. Let's spend the next 20 minutes brainstorming what we want to see. So Star Wars, obviously. Um, the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. We want to see USS Enterprise. 
I'd love to see like a tie interceptor. Those are cool looking. I, you know, Lino, that'd be neat. Mm-hmm. Sure. Anything new that's come out that would be fun to see. I think, I mean, a lot of Marvel, since no Marvel was in an Iron Man, somebody's Iron Man would be cool, or War Machine. Sure, but if we're really going to go nostalgia, like, mm -hmm. I mean, Iron Man is old, too, of course. Yeah. It's been in the comics, but, I mean, <clears throat> if you're going to think, like, uh, like... What vehicle would we want to see? We have, we have so many great vehicles in the film, like Knight, Kit from Knight Riders in it, Christine, A-Team vehicle... What are some of those vehicles we'd want to see? Maybe a, a Baywatch truck? Something Terminator? I don't think there was a Terminator in it. There wasn't a Terminator, no. It was just the thumbs up. Yeah, so Terminator would be cool. Like the T-800, just... But again, now we're just throwing all this stuff yeah. in there to make a sequel. Again, you're right. Which is not what you want. I you want real story? Right. Just a Care Bear. Yeah. That's all I need. Care Bear Stare. <laughs> Care Bear Stare. <laughs> so, Eric... Uh, we've talked a lot about the the film. Did you like at the end that they actually the good guys won out and they do get control of the oasis and they make all these new rules to kind of get people unplugged? Did you think that was a worthy ending to the film? That we know that people just spend all of their time in the oasis, so now the good guys have won. They're not in it for the money; they're in it for the experience. So they make people unplugged to go experience the real world. That's just got so much yeah. real world implication. I don't. They said they closed it, and this is something we talked about when we watched the movie. They they closed the Oasis on Wednesdays and Saturdays or something like that. But is it always central time? Because aren't they in Ohio? Like, right. Is it central time? So no matter where you are around the world, it's from 12 a.m. to 12... PM local. 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. Local. But that doesn't make sense because there are people 23 hours ahead of you. So they're closed during that time so that you can't interact with them. Like, oh, it would have to be shut down. Right, right, because the Oasis is global. <clears throat> right. So you're shutting it down from 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. and 59 seconds. Central time? <laughs> and so the world just has to deal with that? Right, right, right. Like, yeah, do you do it on Greenwich Mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's actually a... Do you do it when the... It's actually an interesting question the that they'll never... on the international date line? Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, you're right. Like, if if you lived, you know, in another country yeah. that's eight hours ahead, mm -hmm. and if we shut it down completely globally, well, that means, like, you just, it's like, great, because it, it, it shuts down when I'm working from nine to five. Perfect. <laughs> right? So I go home and play. Yeah. Where, for me, it's, you know, shut down from... What well, would be eight to eight if it's eight hours? If that if you're in the UK from oh, where right, I live right, in California, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're in the let's say you're in London and it's Pacific time, that's eight hours ahead. Mm -hmm. So London at eight a.m. it goes down until eight a.m. the next morning. Right. And then in Australia, they're like almost a full day ahead of us. Mm -hmm. So for them, it goes down actually Thursday and Sunday instead of Wednesday and Saturday. Right. So, but like you said, yeah. if it's global, then does that mean like it's just all down or is it like you said, like you're in a different country and it, and it just shuts down local time from mm -hmm. eight to eight for you, yeah. but it's still going. It's just, we were able to just shut down yeah. like your servers mm -hmm. in this area 
and then like I never meet you because you're not on the same time. We're not or at least the, during those right those days. Or or the overlap in the oasis. You're playing a mission together, and it's like, dude, we got to finish this. Yep. I only got four more minutes, <laughs> and it's like, oh, I just got here though. <laughs> Like we only been playing together for like an hour and now, oh, bye, oh, great. And then I lose because my team is on Central Park. Yep. I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe Sim- that's a concept we'll explore in Ready Player Two. Maybe. Let's hope so. What if somebody right now, what if the author of Ready Player Two is listening to this podcast and he's <laughs> furiously typing away with us in the background and he's like, oh my God, this is going to be so good. And then what are they talking about? The Dateline, what? When does it close? When does it? When does it close? <laughs> Shit! <laughs> this is garbage. <laughs> he throws it out. <laughs> oh, Ernest but Klein. But then he picks. You better back. be listening, and you better figure out how to make this work on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Then we he, need answers. Then a little while later, he picks it up, and it's just like Care Bear's a good idea, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm putting the Care Bear in for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Maybe Rainbow Bright. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool too. Cram a snork in there. <laughs> and they shoot things out of their little head, the snorkels. <laughs> a couple of Muppet babies. Gem. Gem should be in there for sure. Shooting holograms at people and they explode <laughs> would be awesome. What about all these cartoons that shoot things? <laughs> Weird things. <laughs> but but G.I. Joe's don't actually shoot anything. That's, that's the thing with G.I. Joe's. They're, they're all... They're all hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> Blue lasers for the good guys, red lasers for the bad guys. <laughs> yep. Oh, except for Star Wars, red lasers for the good guys, green lasers for the bad guys. Right. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we've talked a lot about this film, um, and obviously you you didn't love it, but Eric did, did seeing all of this, as we've said before, pop culture orgasm uh, on the screen. Did it ruin your childhood? No, it didn't ruin it. Like I said, the the premise I like, the execution I just didn't. I think it, I think it's kind of fun to throw in, but I also think that it was almost two different concepts there because you could have had a just straight story without all that stuff and done the avatars that were not pop culture things. Mm-hmm. Or you could have had a more simple fun Shrek like story with all the fairy tale characters and been a little more simple you know what i mean yeah like all that exposition maybe would have been better if we weren't also flashing batman and all the pop stuff yeah like like tell the story but be your own story that would that's one story but then but then just be fun with all the more like pixels was just fun with it even though you didn't like it and it wasn't good I won't argue it. Okay. But you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I get what you're saying. I um I think that's why they did what they did with the lead characters in the Oasis is they didn't make them didn't make their avatars anything pop culture because they tried to make them their own people with their own identities. Whereas a ton of other people in the Oasis were avatars of pop culture. So that was the distinction that I see. Parzival wasn't anybody that we know. It was his own avatar. Artemis was her own avatar. Right. You know, H, Daito, and, you know, they, they all were their own avatars. Right. It is funny, though, that the guy who solved the whole mystery of the Oasis has no imagination. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he made himself not really any different than he was in the real life, and he couldn't even pick a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, I'll just be kind of me. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, didn't uh, didn't ruin it. Uh, didn't ruin my childhood. I and I again, I don't even completely disagree with the the premise. But uh, uh, listeners out there, if you get a chance, this is another thing. You know, uh, if you're listening, Ernest was it? Ernest Klein. Ernest, if you're listening, uh, can you throw in uh, somewhere somebody listening to Midnight at the Oasis? by maria moldar um interesting look it up midnight that'll be for spielberg o- to do in the movie but midnight yeah. at the Oasis. you know i i do want to take a step back though because i misspoke ready player two actually was released as a novel november 24th of 2020 so it's out already mm. so he might not be writing to put the care bear stare in ready player two we're gonna have to wait for ready player three which the way that he writes and releases books, it'll be nine years before we get Ready Player well, Three. And then we just so. gotta hope that Spielberg and Zemeckis right. are listening, and they're yeah. like, "Ooh, sure, sure, we can throw that in there." Yeah. That's a good one. I think so. I mean, Spielberg obviously listens to this podcast. He's a big, big, big fan. Yeah. Um, but uh, so for me, it didn't ruin my childhood. Honestly, I've said it over and over again. The nostalgia just grabbed a hold of me, and I in the theater, I was like shit-eating grin the whole time sitting in the seat watching the movie. So I, I just loved everything that the movie did to, to remind me of what I loved in my youth. And I didn't mind, like we talked about the, the tons of exposition, I didn't mind it because I still got a fulfilling ending to the story that they were telling outside of the Oasis. So I thought it was good. Um, if you were to, we don't, we don't do this on this podcast, but many others that I've been a part of do this. So I'm going to ask you, if you were to grade the movie, what letter grade would you give it? Mm. I know I'm just asking you right out of the blue without giving you any idea we would do this, but I thought it would be interesting to compare our letter grades for this film because you didn't like it, but you were okay with it. Or you didn't love it, but you were okay with it. And I really liked it. And I think that, you know, that'll be a little telling to the listeners. I guess if I'm being fair and really looking at it as a whole, the way it looked and everything was really good. I I do think that there was a lot of interesting scenes. I guess I'd have to go B minus, I suppose. Okay. I can't, I can't justify giving it a C Mm -hmm. because it wasn't just terrible, but it just wasn't, yeah, B minus. Okay. I would, and, and this might surprise you because you might think I'd go higher, but I would give it a B plus because it still, the characters were were fun and it was good to get to know them, but it still, there wasn't as much depth in all of them and as I'll... I'd like to have been. So then... I think if we just got a story without the Oasis and the nostalgia in it, I probably would be at a B minus, but the nostalgia brings it up to a B plus for me. And I'll tell you this, if you would have asked me after the first time I watched it, I probably would have said C minus, but now watching it again and not really seeing anything different, just kind of knowing what you're getting into, knowing what I'm getting into and for lack of a better word, just letting myself enjoy the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, B minus. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. And maybe it was just a little more fun because you and I were making comments through the movie too. Yeah. And, and I was able to kind of like vent and critique 
rather than the first time I watched it, just going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So it is always more fun to watch a movie like this with another geek that gets it, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you can bounce things back and forth. And it, I, it was a more enjoyable experience to watch it with you too, for me, because I got to hear some of the things you had to say about it and it made me laugh. Right. Even though I have a better thought, you know, my, I have a better perspective or perception of the movie. Um, so yeah, didn't ruin my childhood. I B plus for me. So Eric, can you uh, you want to tell the people out there where they might find you? Uh, no, yeah, maybe. Nah, mm, not really. Nah, I'm good. We'll we'll stick with not doing that yeah, in season two. So still working on getting the Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Still working on getting the Twitter. It's so hard to sign up. I know, like downloading the app and like figuring out what your username should be. It's going to be difficult. No, actually, if you want to know where to find me. Um, just rewatch my entire life. I've left three clues. And uh, if you can solve the three random clues from things I happen to utter um, at, the, at the bar, uh, at the ball game. Um, You're giving me clues as to where to go. Yeah. Although you've been at a lot of bars and a lot of ball games. So. Yes. Oof. So uh, I'll, give the, I'll give the listeners one last hint. Can strawberry shoot, shortcake shoot anything? <laughs> Strawberries, obviously. <laughs> she just pulls them off her hat and throws them. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to start going combing through your life to figure out those three clues. I mean, I already got the strawberry shortcake, obviously, but right. the other two, it's going to take me a while to figure out because having to rewind to every time you've been at a bar. So for me, you can find me at, on the interwebs at uh, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Fildimo, F-I-L-D-I-M-O. And also follow our podcast at Podcast Ruined on Twitter and Instagram. I hope you enjoyed this look back at Ready Player One, and we hope that it didn't ruin your childhood. Could it be I've misunderstood this podcast ruined my childhood? Reality. is real you understand what i'm saying yes yes i do he did it he got the egg goodbye parcival thanks thanks for playing my game Well, maybe you didn't play the right video games to enjoy Pixels. That's most likely true. You know what Pac-Man is? I do. The problem is Adam Sandler. That's the problem in Pixels. Really? Yes. I thought he was okay. Oof, man. Script could have been better. Could have been better? Needed to be better. His president buddy, he's just going to show up at the White House. He's cool. Just get in there with his buddy from the block. I think that's funny. Okay. That, like... The president of the United States still hangs out with his, like, he can give clear, he can give clear to whoever he wants. And he gives it to his buddy. Adam Sandler. That's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Nobody I I, will I, become I, the president of the United, of the, the president of the United States with a friend like Adam Sandler holding you down. I think it's funny that you don't know that he's the president in the first scene, though, in Pixels. Mm-hmm. And there you think they're just at a coffee shop. And then you pull back. And then you see that they're in there by themselves and the Secret Service is out there. And yeah. it's like, Mr. President, we have to go. And I'm like, what? His buddy's with Kevin James? That's funny. I like mm. that. I like that 
the president just wanted to go hang out with his friend. So, yeah. hey, we're going to go do this. Yeah. I mean, waste of taxpayer money, of course. Of course. But, you know, anyway. We know all about waste of taxpayer money over the past several years. So. Yeah, I know. Um, 